Hello? Hello? Can you see me? Can anyone see me? I don't have a lot of time, but if you are seeing this, my name is Lori Hughes, and I need your help. My friends and I are in a lot of danger. His name is Chris Craven. When we met him, he seemed cool, but then we followed, followed him home. He's gone crazy. He's babbling about death rituals and saving us from the world. And I don't even know how, how many friends of mine are still alive. And how many are... I, I'm gonna get out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get out and I'm gonna save who I can. Please, if you can see this, tell someone, tell the police, anyone, just tell someone. And if you run into him, don't trust Chris Craven. No! Industry. Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to witness some scenes from the next attraction to play this. This picture, truly one of the most unusual ever filmed, contains scenes which under no circumstances should be viewed by anyone with a heart condition or anyone who is easily a We urgently recommend that if you are such a person or the parent of a young or impressionable child now in attendance, that you and the child leave the auditorium for the next... Features, a horror discussion from geeksoftheindustry.com, and now your host, Chunky Larry. Greetings, fellow insomniacs, and welcome to another episode of the Creature Features podcast on geeksoftheindustry.com. 
I'm your host. My name is Chunky Larry, and in this episode, uh, if you've been following the Creature Features podcast since roughly June, I'd say, I've been doing a series of interviews with cast members, um, actors, actresses from the upcoming film Safe Place, and I'm going to be doing essentially the boss battle episode right now. I'm going to be talking to essentially the final girl. Uh, There will be a couple of more Safe Place interviews coming, don't worry, because there's a couple of people that I still absolutely want to get around to talking to. Uh, but I am talking to the grand poobah of the film Safe Place. I'm talking to the vision, the mind behind this film, uh, the writer and director of the film Safe Place, Mr. Nick Hunt. How you doing, my man? I am doing fantastic, Larry. Uh, this has been a long time coming, I think. Uh, it has. You know, it has. We have bounced over the uh, idea of me coming on for a while now. Well, we started talking back in May, actually, and and I, you know, I went back into my into my records of conversation just to kind of uh, understand how long that this journey has kind of been uh, with the two of us interacting. And, um, one of the things that I noticed, kind of talking with you and working with you in you know getting these this series of interviews together is that more so than any other filmmaker that I've, I've spoken to you have this this mindset of building other people up as well as what you're working on it's not necessarily hey look at this project I'm doing hey hey did you see that I'm doing this project it's yeah. You know, more so than anybody that I've ever seen, and, and I'm being 100% honest, uh, you are always about, you know, hey, fucking promote yourself. I'm trying to create a community where, you know, like-minded individuals can find other like-minded individuals based on those people, you know, work on creating art. And that is something that I find absolutely admirable about you and about what Thank you're you. doing. Um, so... Essentially, what I want to ask, because, uh, you know, that was more of a statement, not a question, obviously. Uh, But what I want to ask is, what was your initial motivation to do that? Not not necessarily get into filmmaking, because, you know, I I will obviously have to ask that. That's the cliche question that all of us fucking podcasters ask. Uh, Ooh, well, how did you start in movies? (laughs) <laughs> but <laughs> and I've asked it, uh, so mocking it is silly I because wa- I, I, I started it. watching them, of course, you know. But um, what was what was the motivation behind, you know, bringing other people up and trying to develop this community? Because that's what you're doing. You're developing a community of like-minded filmmakers and artists and creative individuals, not just in the filmmaking aspect. But in the podcasting aspect, I've made contacts uh, with other podcasts based on uh, interacting with you. So I, I want to know what was what was the initial motivation for that? Well, you know, when I was asked when I was really young and in grade school exactly what I wanted to do with my life, I always wanted to do something that was just going to have a profound effect on people and was going to legitimately help um, in one way or another. And art is so, art and film is, is so multidimensional. 
you know, it's, it's meant to shock. It's meant to make you smile. It's meant to make you cry. It's meant to scare the hell out of you. It's meant to make you laugh. It's meant to make you wonder. It's meant to make you question. And film is just such a broad ideology. And when you think about it, we have a responsibility as filmmakers and as promoters and as as workers in the industry that you know when you make a movie regardless if it was shot for five bucks and uh you know dinner at chili's uh or it was shot for 10 million dollars somebody spent an exorbitant amount of time as i have found building that project building that concept and it takes a lot for anybody to make anything that has any sort of notoriety or anybody paying attention to it and when you have that you need to hold it dear and you need to say look i am no better than anybody else i don't deserve uh, I, I i feel larry that i don't deserve fans yet i feel that i have done nothing to warrant fans or popularity i feel that i have done nothing substantial in order to gain much respect except for posting and and and, and involving myself with the right people and trying to execute things with the right people but my hope at the end of the day you know my my inspiration for it is why not when you have I've said this a lot over the past few days. If you have the, the, the connections, if you have all these people that you know, if you have the ability, if you have the media, if you have all these people that are willing to work towards a common goal with you, then why not? Why not build a community? You know, um, it used to be something great when you used to be able to open up a Fangoria magazine and look at all these schools that were advertised for up and coming filmmakers and makeup artists. And those have started to really dwindle away. And my, my eventual hope is to do something. You know, I said it yesterday in a post. I want to conquer this industry. Um, I want to have a studio that covers music, television, and movies. And also involves some sort of school, some sort of program for young disadvantaged youths that can get into filmmaking, that don't necessarily have the privilege or the money to make it happen. And what kind of education as far as filmmaking were you brought up with? Did you go to any film school or is that, have you been kind of more learning on the job? Well, the, the thing that mo that shocks most people is I don't have a single day uh, of business school uh, mm. experience. I don't have a single day of film school experience and I've never been to college. Um, I, I graduated from high school. And I, I simply, I have been incredibly lucky to have surrounded myself with the people that I have in order to only be as strong as, as the team that's with me. And that, that's really all that I can say for my, for my experience, you know, and, and that's why I say that, you know, I mean, it's, it's sort of, it's sort of weird because you don't really, you don't really think of things that way. And then you hear about somebody that uh, gets into this with virtually no business experience and, 
You know, I, I don't feel that I need it. I don't, I feel that people have accomplished things throughout time without actual education. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, uh, there, there's people that I've had on the show, like uh, Todd Nunez, who, you know, started kind of just by doing what a lot of us did. And, and I'm absolutely one of those people. Uh, just getting together with friends and figuring it out and and working on telling stories and is that kind of because I know you know my my approach uh, to just about everything is the story what is the story what where are you going with that story what are you trying to convey what is what is the heart of what you're trying to convey and you know everything else kind of will figure itself out but if you don't have that mindset going in you know but you're maybe say technically sound but you don't have any kind of insight as to what you're trying to say then you're just creating a collection of pretty images with no substance and so in that in that mindset you know when going into filmmaking you know maybe it's rough and gritty and maybe it's ugly but if there's a story there that's what's going to connect with an audience i mean obviously you know visually you know it's it's just like dating you know you your immediate you know reaction is to look at something beautiful or attractive to your eye and then the personality is what keeps you there you know the story is essentially the personality and do you do you agree with that? Do you disagree? Is is that oh, oh, what is I, your motivation? You know, I completely agree with it because you know I never started out with a you know in the backyard with my friends in a video camera, and I'm going to tell you why. Because you know people ask me, well, why 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 isn't there anything out there by you? You know, why don't you have a reel of stuff that you just shot, or why don't you have? you know, all this experience, why don't you have films that you shot as a, as a student or, you know, experimental things, music videos, mm-hmm. because in the, in, the, in the answer to the question is because I told myself that very, very few people succeed in this industry and that the only way that I would do this is if I would go big initially, first time out of the gate. And I have shown more than enough that I have found my home in this community in this indie community i have found my place i have popped in and i have created one of the mo- one of the one of the most interesting and fastest growing brands in independent horror right now and it's you know i don't have mu- i don't have much to show for it but i told myself that i had to do it that way that i had to make an appearance i had to make an impact i had to be flashy i had to be theatrical and that's the way I've done it, and I think that I've gotten successful. And it, you look at the the teaser trailer that you put out for Safe Place. It's it says a lot without saying or showing really anything. You know, it's it's that's, that's you know you're 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 getting you know the conveyance of what's going to be going on, and you're also getting a clear indication that a this isn't going to look like a home video you know just visually just texturally and visually 
uh, what are you guys shooting on, like, red, or, like, what, what are you, what are you going for, uh, from the technical aspect? It's actually going to be shot on a Sony A7S. Very nice. And so, is, is getting the correct kind of color palette and texture important to you for oh, telling the story, or is it just, like, whatever kind of fits in that moment? Oh, it, uh, the the color palette is extremely important, and one of the things that is most most uh, close to a comparison would have to be James Wan's Saw series. Now, the reason that I mention that is if you look at the Saw franchise, you see that it has a profound green color palette mm-hmm. to it. And what I'm opting for is sort of the opposite, but with a blue. But it's also going to be less noticeable. It's just, you know, I want to, you know, I, I said that I want this to be beautiful at the end of the day, mm-hmm. but that I want it to be nasty. I want it to be, you know, I want the aesthetic to be wet. I want it to be dirty. I want it to be grimy because that's how the film is. And see, you know, my takeaway was wet and metallic. Uh, just yeah. looking at that trailer, obviously, you know, uh, you, you get Ashley's face and kind of, you know, she's in the midst of, you know, essentially probably you know giving her final words almost in in, a, in essence and you don't really know because from from the one what was it like a minute and a half at most uh yeah. clip you get the the impression that she's essentially the final girl and that you know it could very well be the last thing she says and that is you know, it's intriguing. And that was kind of uh, one of the things that you've been doing through social media, kind of from the beginning, is trying to draw people in without giving them everything. And exactly. It, you know, most people spend the time that I have developing a presence and a following for this film when as they do in pre-production it just doesn't happen most people wait until the film's finished uh-huh. and you know i i've done the complete opposite but again there is success in opposition and i know that you guys you know had a bit of a uh, uh speed bump in the production because of everything that had happened with hurricane irma you know have you guys kind of been able to write the ship if in in a way of saying oh there there was never a doubt safe place was never ever in jeopardy uh because because of that chick irma um don't don't you worry uh everything is still on track uh to go at the beginning of the year and um we're hoping by the end of the first quarter um if not the beginning of the second quarter of the year uh people will event will be able to start seeing safe place and um you know i'm, I'm incredibly excited um because i mean it's it's been so long in the making and um everybody is just so excited and so amped up and i can't wait for for people to see it um you know because it is a precursor to bigger things I mean, you know, besides Safe Place, I, I have so many other projects that I'm building just in the past, in the next year that, you know, are, are, are crazy. So, And I know that you have developed a working relationship with Lara Jean Mamere, who I absolutely love. Like, 
I love that chick. She's a fantastic human being. I I had one of my favorite interviews with her, and she's just she's got this mind that I think really just overall, you know, and and an acumen that you know you could really do something with. You know, she's played both sides of the fence, and she's done very well for herself. And again. You know, uh, she's also one of those people that is developing in a community of filmmakers. Filmmakers that before this year I had no knowledge of, but past this year, I am absolutely ecstatic to see this, this wave of young filmmakers who are really kind of carving out their own niche without uh, any kind of reliance on the studio system. Oh yeah, you know, it's it's a revolution. You know, we have people coming out of the woodwork from everywhere and anywhere. You know, um, it, it's an, it's a new day here in independent film and it's a new day in independent horror, you know. Um, there's some incredible things that are happening every day. And you know, I always tell people that there is no there's no festival circuit or convention circuit for comedies or dramas or romance, you know. There, there's nothing for, for war films, but there's for horror, and there's for science fiction, and there's for fantasy. And, yeah, I mean, that that's what it is. And I, I know that, you know, you've been teasing that you were going to say a certain something on this show. <laughs> because, uh, again, I oh. follow you. So, I, I kind of want to give the floor to you and let you... Drop the proverbial dick, if you will. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of uh, over the past week or so, I, I've been seizing a bunch of different projects. One of them being Wander Tales, mm -hmm. which is a multi-dimensional uh, anthology horror film that I am conceiving, and um, it's going to involve eight of the biggest independent or biggest filmmakers in independent horror over the past five years who have all made a profound effect in independent horror. And um, slowly, over the next few weeks, few months, I'm going to be unveiling all of the filmmakers that are going to be participating. Um, now, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to unveil the first filmmaker that is going to be participating with me, making a segment, and drumroll, it is going to be Circus of the Dead director Billy Hahn. Very nice. He's going to be joining with me on Wander Tales. And uh, that means that there are still six other names that are going to be joining this along with me. And uh, we got some incredible writers on board. And it's a really unique concept because essentially all every filmmaker is going to have their own budget that they're able to hire their own writer or write it themselves. And um, they basically will film it at their own locations with their own pick cast that, you know, everybody agrees upon. And um, that way you get the own aesthetic, individual and unique to the filmmaker. Now, uh, with, with anthology tales, there's, there, you always run the risk, and, and this has been my takeaway, of not having a through line and it and it coming off as kind of a a, a 
collage of various short films with no kind of rudder that steers the ship. Uh, do you guys, uh, I, I know you can't give too much away because again, this is something that is in pre-production, you're, you're putting this all together, but is there a mindset of how you're going to navigate through the group of filmmakers to have sort of a through line? You know what I mean? Where, where example, yeah. like uh, Creepshow so is... The wraparound, the wraparound story. Yes. So you, yeah. you you absolutely have kind of an idea. Do the do the stories uh, kind of cross paths at all, or is it you know their their own unique things with this kind of wraparound? Well, I think you're going to get sort of uh, you're going to have sort of a dual, you know, without giving too much away. In my head, the way that I see it going is you're going to have sort of. Um, a, a combination of something that's sort of tales of the tales from the crypt esque, mm-hmm. and you're also going to have something that's sort of uh, Twilight Zone ish. Mm-hmm. Um, so that explains it a little bit. Um, you know, we're, we're it's sort of um, it's going it, it's much like Safe Place. It's not going to be set. The wraparound isn't going to be set in any real time or any real um, lo- physical location. It's sort of up to the audience to sort of develop an idea of when and where this is taking place. And, um, you know, with it dealing with folklore and sort of uh, everybody's own artistic interpretation of that f- folklore or myth, it's going to add some really unique flavors um, that you never really get the opportunity to see in an anthology where it just sort of also all floats together. Mm-hmm. You know, it's to have a good, happy meeting. And in in terms of Safe Place, which I know is what is your your main focus, obviously you're looking towards the future, but I know that that's, that's the, the beast that you must battle at the current you know time. And that oh, obviously you're you're getting other things set in place so you don't have to stop that momentum. But <clears throat> when it comes to makeup effects and and visual effects, working on uh, what I can only assume is uh, what like what is your budgetary sense for putting these things together? Are you doing crowdfunding? Uh, is there is there something where you've already kind of got something worked out, and do you feel like you're going to be using a lot of gore in Safe Place? That that's kind of where I'm going with that. Um, well, as as far as Safe Place being gory, um, you know, I've said from the beginning, uh, Safe Place is going to have again a very happy medium uh, of having a really awesome story that people can really invest themselves in and emotionally. Mm-hmm. And it's also going to be violent and nasty and brutal and hard to watch. And, you know, it's going to tug at the heartstrings. It's, it's going to get you and it's going to get you at times that you're not going to expect to be got. And, um, I, I always try and say that safe place is an animal that you think that you've seen, but, then you approach it and realize that it's rabid and that it's ravenous and that it's unpredictable and that it's something that isn't what you think you saw. 
what isn't what you think you saw mm. and uh, it'll mess with your head and yes it's going to be very violent um you know i definitely imagine a, a, a nice hard r rating um not compromising for a pg-13 i refuse um but uh yeah i mean it's going to be as raw and real as it gets and uh i think that i've chosen a really superstar team uh, of casts that's really going to bring this thing out and i've had the opportunity to speak to a lot of the members of your cast and uh the the one takeaway that i've gathered is that there's there isn't necessarily you know in in a traditional horror film you get kind of this this amber crombie fucking mindset where it's like oh it's a bunch of pretty people and then there's the one ugly guy that's really causing them trouble and you know it, it like i hate that because that's not real life and you know the the cast that i've been able to speak speak to come from every different walk of life and you know you have absolutely stunning people like uh is you know kind of from a uh, just the, that that on the surface look but there there's there's yes, something to be said thing too there, there's something don't... to be said about you know having different personalities and and that's that's the the one thing that i noticed is that they all have kind of their own essence and aura rather than being like legos you know where you can they're interchangeable <laughs> and they have that flat kind of you know basic you know multi like uh manufactured quality to them nothing's nothing feels manufactured with the cast is essentially where i was going with that well thank you see the, the way that i really went with it is you know number one i wanted to break down barriers i wanted to cast people in areas and in roles um that weren't nor that they weren't normally given the opportunity that's why i have a very strong hispanic presence mm. um uh, that's why I, you know, I, I keep a very multicultural and, and, mer- and, you know, something that's just very unique and pleasing uh, of all areas of people. You know, that's why there's a strong presence of LGBTQ in the film and people that are portrayed because one of the things that I've continuously said in a lot of the podcasts is that we as writers in horror and in filmmakers in horror have caught up on the storylines great you know but a lot of the ways that we've written our central characters especially in slasher films just have not changed we still see the jock that's an asshole we Mm. still see the cheerleader we still see the smart girl we still see the over flamboyant homosexual and we still see these things being written and it's not 1985 anymore and we really need to change that and that's what i did with safe place is that i gave you a slasher that is tantamount to the night to 1980s but with smart people that you're actually going to give a damn about absolutely and um one of the things that i like to ask a, a filmmaker and um specifically horror filmmakers is what is it that you feel needs to be done to make horror scary again? And I feel that, you know, for a very long time, 
and, and I've, I've said this to just about anybody that'll listen, that there, there's this mindset that, you know, to cover flaws, per se. You know, like, my nickname is Chunky. I go by Chunky, and I own that. You know, because I'm I'm an overweight guy, and I'd rather, you know... Uh, I'd rather be shitty to myself than allow somebody else to have the power to be shitty over me. I take the power of that away from people. And I think that that mindset has been brought into filmmaking in all the wrong ways. In the sense that, you know, there's... There's an over-reliance of joking about yourself, you know, in, in films, just kind of in general. I, I, I also will call it kind of the Whedon approach, where everybody wants to be pithy and, and uh, you know, cut these fucking jokes. And in, in a horror comedy setting, I get it. But there's, there's not... And I also understand the idea of alleviation of tension, but you have to, in my opinion, create that tension to merit that alleviation. And I don't think that that's necessarily being done as much as there's an over-reliance of jump scares. So essentially what I'm asking you is what is it that you think horror filmmakers should be focusing on in order to make horror scary again? Well, number one, I think we need to stop using the terminology of a studio film, the terminology of an independent film. Um, I, I think once we, I, I think the first step, you know, in this 12-step program of, of filmmaking uh, is to really get rid of that ideology, uh, or that terminology, rather, because once we realize that we're all in this together, regardless if you're making a movie for 20th Century Fox or you're making a movie for Uncorked Entertainment, that we're all in this together, okay? You know, uh, the money's still the money's always green, no matter where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, but as far as how we how we execute films, we we have to. Right now is the perfect time for the independent trend to explode out into the so-called mainstream, because there is no real pattern out there right now and generally over the past decade or maybe just over a decade there's always been a pattern there's always been a period to where there's been nothing but supernatural haunted house movies or nothing but torture porn or nothing but remakes and right now there's a very big good happy medium and we've shown especially in horror I think now we're at the three biggest films of this year, the three most profitable films of this year, all came from the exact same company, a young genre company by Mr. Jason Bloom, and not by 20th Century Fox, not by Lionsgate, not by Sony, not by Paramount, not by Universal, by a little tiny young genre company that wasn't around five, ten years ago. You know? So, I mean, there's a lot to be said from that. That people are gaining more acceptance in lesser extravagant films. That people are starting to understand that you don't need $20 million to make a great film. You know? I'll put it like this. 
scariest film I've seen all year, and I've seen the fucking movie hit. Uh, the scariest movie I've seen all year was Never Hike Alone. Straight up. Yeah. That movie I, was I've made. Heard that the the Friday the Thirteenth fan film is amazing. Uh, that movie was made off of a Kickstarter budget, so it, it did not have a shit ton of money to it, but the money was spent in the right places, and it's not a film where there's a disposable cast you know because that that to me is another issue is when you make a cast disposable you know when you when you you know put a lot of people in the movie just to have a big body count and you you can't develop those characters so when they die you you automatically go well yeah of course they're gonna die and and that's been an issue for longer than the last 10 years and longer than the last 20 years that has been going on since as long as i can remember with slasher films where you introduce a group of people and and i and i've said it before when i when i talk about films it's almost like here 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 and you you automatically get you know these archetypes this is the bitch this is the jock this is this this is the that and you know that these people are fitting these archetypes and that their inevitable role is just to die in some elaborate way. With Never Hike Alone, it's one fucking guy, and you follow his journey. When he gets injured, you feel his injuries, you feel his pain, you're on that journey, and it, it's all about building that tension. And that's, that is, to me, one of the best examples of taking a minimalist idea and expanding on it to the point where you're you're grabbing audiences and they they don't have any other option but to root for this one person and and essentially what i'm trying to say is that in my opinion and i don't know how you feel about this but the in the entire idea of the the best way to make a horror film scary is by making people care about the cast and that is what you've done without shooting a single frame of film by getting your cast out there onto these podcasts out there onto the internet making people aware of who they are and giving a shit about them as people now they give they're invested in them before they've seen a frame of film and exactly and that's that's the true testament of what horror needs to do at this point in the game you need to stop being over-reliant on gore effects because I'll, I'll be fucking straight up. The Saw movies suck balls to me. And it's because they're, they're literally like, it's like doing stunts. You know what I mean? Like, Evil Knievel can jump off of 50 fucking buses and fall and hurt himself. You're watching it to see him hurt himself, not to see him execute it safely. That sucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's that's not yeah. that's not a horror film. That is. Well, see, I'm you know I'm I'm rather a fan of the Saw, but I mean it does have its ups and downs. But, and but I what do I'm saying have... is that that's that's like watching porn. You're watching it for the money shot. You're not following on a journey. You're not you're not taking your characters to places, and and that's that's ultimately what filmmaking should be. Is you should be taking people places. You, you should be, you know, essentially a horror film is the the equivalent of a campfire tale. You're, you're trying to scare people by telling them a story, not by saying, 
oh, and then his brains fell out of his head, you know, like, that shit is, it can be startling, but it doesn't give the replay effect, and, and the replay effect, I feel, is when you give a shit about the customer, or the, the characters. Uh, think about a movie like Dazed and Confused, and I know that, that that's far from the realm of horror films, but the strength yeah. of Dazed and Confused isn't the fact that they get high, or they go and have like a beer bus. It's the characters. You give a shit about the characters. You feel like you're a part of their group. And when it's over, you fucking hate that you're leaving your friends. That's what fucking horror should be. <laughs> it should be you giving a shit and being emotionally invested in the people that are, you know, going through these horrific things. Um, somebody had said, you know, I, I was actually watching this thing on a Holocaust survivor. And... She said that, you know, the the situation itself was a tragedy, but it, it is my journey to forgiving that is my own, and that's the thing that should be, you know, most important, isn't, isn't that moment, you know, and if you are, if you are giving it power, you know, you aren't understanding that you survived it, you know what I mean? Exactly, you know, and um, that's why Safe Place is such an elaborate animal, and that's why you're going to go into it with so many questions. I mean, you're going to come out of it with so many questions, rather. You know, you're not going to you're not going to be sure about the sympathy or the empathy you're going to feel. You're not going to end up, you know, seeing. You know, you're not going to end up, you know, having these. You're going to end up having these conflicting feelings mm -hmm. for yourself. You know, and um, it's, I mean, the end, the end, and then once you get to the end, I mean, it's just going to wreck some people. And uh, I mean, it sort of makes me smile that I, that I can, that I believe I'm going to wreck some people because that's the eventual hope, you know, uh, because uh, there, there's so much, uh, Safe Place is such a broad story. You know, it seems like a very simplistic story, but I assure you, and I assure the public that it is a very broad story, and that is why it is the first of a trilogy. Now that's some news. I don't think I've heard that yet. It's a the first yes. of a trilogy. This, uh, is the first of a eventual trilogy that will happen regardless if, if you know, uh, I'm one of those people, it, it's the story. Mm -hmm. You know, it, that's the overall story. The story has to be told in three separate films. And three separate films that will be, in just in those words, very literally, three separate films. Um, because uh, this, the second is actually going to be called, believe it or not, the exclusive right here, uh, Safe Place, The Second Story. Um, the reason it's the second story is because it's going to be a completely different feel to this first one. It's going to be a completely different uh, mindset, a completely different aesthetic. Um, whereas we have, you know, Safe Place 1 is more of a death sentence meets Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, you have uh, Safe Place 2 as, more as No Country for Old Men meets The, the, the Hitcher. Fuck. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh man, that's that's. I I think you know you, you dropped the news um, a little bit earlier, but that is is of all of the stuff that I've done in this Safe Play series, 
probably the biggest news uh, from the film. I, I had no idea that this was intended to be a three-part thing, and, and that's really exciting. Um, oh, oh yeah, you know, uh, a, a lot, a lot of people. I mean, I've, I've said it a lot before. You know that it's just it's it's such a broad concept that cannot be contained to just one film, and um, that's all. And then by doing the films differently, uh, um, I hope to break natural slasher um, franchise conventions of, of doing the same thing over and over and over again. I want to assure you that I want to at least attempt to make every sequel better than its first. You know. Very exciting. Uh, I think that that's as good a place as any to start wrapping this. Uh, please tell people where they can find you and Safe Place in social media. Well, you can get a hold of us at and you know look at the trailer posters, look at dozens of interviews over at Facebook.com/slash Safe Place the Movie, and there you can also find links to the YouTube channel links to you know all all sorts of stuff you know to find out how to get to know our cast our crew all the ins and outs and just follow on the journey with us for safe place and i know that you had announced the release date for the film can you reiterate that again oh well um that was actually um it was uh it was something that was a computer error that ended up duplicating the date, and it was something that was not intended for the public. So that is, in, in fact, not the date. Um, that was an old date that we were dealing with. Um, in fact, that right now we are just dealing with, um, saying, the second quarter of 2018. Very cool. Uh, this has been a blast. If you guys are here just for Nick, which I don't blame you, but you've enjoyed the conversation, you want to find out more about Creature Features, you can do that in a couple of different ways. You can start by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash creature pod, by following us on Twitter and Instagram at creature pod. Uh, you know, go back, listen to all the other Safe Place interviews, and, uh, you know, be a part of this. Be a part of this Creature Features thing as much as you are part of the Safe Place thing. And I will be eagerly awaiting the release of this film i've you know i've spoken with a plethora of the cast i still like i said have more people that i intend on speaking with um so definitely look out for that i want to thank you again nick i i feel that this has been a long time coming and i'm glad that it finally happened oh this is great man i, I had fun uh, but that's gonna do it for us you guys so for nick hunt and for myself Again, my name is Chunky. This has been another episode of the Creature Features Podcast on geeksoftheindustry.com, Stitcher, and iTunes. Listen with someone you trust.